Welcome to the Parsons Knows Radio Theater of the Air, brought to you by Your Name Here? Talk to us about sponsorship. I'm Lance Davis, and tonight we are honored to bring you Address Unknown by the woman who jolted America, Catherine Cressman Taylor. In 1938, Address Unknown, written in the form of letters between two friends, appeared in Story magazine and ignited a firestorm of interest in what was happening in Germany. Set in 1933, well before Americans were aware of the disturbances in Europe, two old friends, Max and Martin, one living in San Francisco and continuing their art dealership, and the other returning to Germany to build a new life for his family, discover insurmountable misunderstandings in their relationship that lead to tragic results. Address Unknown is performed by Parsons Nose Theatre Company members Paul Perry and Barry Gordon. We thank C. Douglas Taylor and McNaughton Lord Representation for its use. For more about Catherine Cressman Taylor, please go to our accompanying episode. And now, Address Unknown. From Eisenstein Galleries, San Francisco, California, USA, to Herrn Martin Schulz, Schloss Ranzenberg, Munich, Germany, November 12th, 1932. My dear Martin, back in Germany, how I envy you. Although I have not seen it since my school days, the spell of Unter den Linden is still strong upon me. The breadth of intellectual freedom, the discussions, the music, the light-hearted comradeship. And now the old Junker spirit, the, the Prussian arrogance and militarism are gone. You go to a democratic Germany, a land with a deep culture and the beginnings of a fine political freedom. It will be a good life. Your new address is impressive, and I rejoice that the crossing was so pleasant for Elsa and the young Sprouts. <laughs> As for me, I am not so happy. Sunday morning finds me a lonely bachelor without aim. My Sunday home is now transported over the wide seas. The big old house on the hill. Your welcome that said the day was not complete until we were together again. And our dear jolly Elsa coming out, beaming, grasping my hand and shouting, Max, Max, and hurrying indoors to open my favorite schnapps. The fine boys, too, especially your handsome young Heinrich. He will be a grown man before I set eyes upon him again. And dinner. <laughs> Shall I ever more hope to eat as I have eaten? Now I go to a restaurant and over my lonely roast beef come visions of Gebeckneschinken steaming in its burgundy sauce of, of Spätzl and, and of Spätzl and Spargel. No, no, I, I shall never again become reconciled to my American diet and the wines so carefully slipped ashore from the German boats and the pledges we made as the glasses brimmed for the fourth and fifth and, and sixth times. 
Of course, you are. You are right to go. You have never become American, despite your success here. And now that the business is so well established, you must take your sturdy German boys back to their homeland to be educated. Elsa, too, has missed her family through the long years, and they will be glad to see you as well. The impecunious young artist has now become the family benefactor, and that, too, will give you a quiet little triumph. But the business continues to go well. Mrs. Levine has bought the small Picasso at our price, for which I congratulate myself, and I have old Mrs. Fleshman playing with the notion of the hideous Madonna. No one ever bothers to tell her that any particular piece of hers is bad because they are all so bad. However, I lack your fine touch in selling to the old Jewish matrons. I can persuade them of the excellence of the investment, but you alone had the fine spiritual approach to a piece of art that unarmed them. Besides, they probably never entirely trust another Jew. <laughs> a delightful letter came yesterday from Grisel. She writes that she is about to make me proud of my little sister. She has the lead in a new play in Vienna, and the notices are excellent. Her discouraging years with the small companies are beginning to bear fruit. Poor child, it has not been easy for her, but she's never complained. She has a fine spirit as well as beauty, and I hope the talent as well. Oh, she asked about you, Martin, in a very friendly way. There is no bitterness left there for... That passes quickly when one is young, as she is. A few years, and there's only a memory of the hurt. And, of course, neither of you was to be blamed. Those things are like quick storms. For a moment, you are drenched and blasted, and you are so wholly helpless before them. But then the sun comes, and although you have neither quite forgotten, there remains only gentleness and no sorrow. You would not have had it otherwise, nor would I. I have not written, Grisel, that you are in Europe, but perhaps I shall if you think it wise. For she does not make friends easily, and I know she would be glad to feel that friends are not far away. Fourteen years since the war. Did you mark the date? Ah, what a long way we have traveled as peoples from that bitterness. Again, my dear Martin, let me embrace you in spirit and with the most affectionate remembrances to Elsa and the boys. Believe me, your ever most faithful, Max. From Schloss Ratzenberg, Munich, Germany, to Mr. Max Eisenstein, Schulz Eisenstein Gallery, San Francisco, California, December 10th, 1932. Max, dear old fellow, the check and the accounts came through promptly, for which my thanks. You need not send me details of the business. You know how I am in accord with your methods, and here at Munich I am in a rush of new activities. We are established, but what a turmoil. 
The house, as you know, I had long in mind. And I got it at an amazing bargain. 30 rooms and about 10 acres of park. You would never believe it. But then you could not appreciate how poor is now this sad land of mine. The servants' quarters, stables and outbuildings are most extensive. And would you believe it, we employ now 10 servants for the same wages of our two in the San Francisco home. The tapestries and pieces we ship make a rich show and we are much admired, almost to say envied. Four full services of the finest china and much crystal, as well as a full service of silver for which Elsa is in ecstasies. As for Elsa, you will, I know, laugh with me. I have purchased for her a huge bed, such a size as never was before, twice the bigness of a double bed with great posters and carved wood. The sheets I must have made to order, they are of the finest linen. Elsa's old gross mutter shakes her head and grumbles, Nine Martin, now you must take care or she will grow to match it. <laughs> yeah, says Elsa, five more boys and I will fit nice and snug. Elsa's family do not find things so easy now. The brothers are in the professions, but while much respected, must live together in one house. To the family, we seem American millionaires. The better foods are high in price here, and there is much political unrest even under the presidency of Hindenburg, a fine liberal whom I much admire. Already old acquaintances urge me to interest myself in administrative matters in the town. This I take under consideration. It may be somewhat to our benefit if I become an official. As for you, my good Max, we have left you alone, but you must not become a misanthrope. Get yourself a nice fat little wife who will busy herself with all your cares. You write of Griselle. So she wins her success, I rejoice with you. Although even now I resent that she must struggle, a girl alone. She was made as any man can see for luxury and devotion. A brave soul is in her dark eyes, yet something strong as iron and daring too. She does nothing and gives nothing lightly. Alas. Dear Max, I betray myself. Although you were silent during our affair, you knew the decision was not easy for me. You never reproached me, your friend, while the little sister suffered. And I always felt you knew that I suffered too. But what could I do? There was Elsa and my sons. No other decision was possible. For Griselle, I keep a tenderness that will last long after she has taken a much younger man. Give her our address. We are a short distance from Vienna, and she can feel there is a home close at hand. Elsa knows nothing of the old feelings between us, and she would welcome your sister as she would welcome you. You must tell her where we are and urge her to make contact and give her our most warm congratulations. Elsa asks that I send you her love, and Heinrich says hello to Uncle Max. We do not forget you, Maxo. 
My heartiest greetings to you. Martin. January 21st, 1933. My dear Martin, I was glad to forward your address to Griselle. What jollification there will be when she sees you all. I shall be with you in spirit. You speak of the poverty there. Conditions have been bad here this winter, but of course we have known nothing of the privations you see in Germany. Personally, you and I are lucky. We have such a sound following. Our clientele are cutting their purchases, but if they buy only half as much as before, we should be comfortable. The oils you sent are excellent and the prices are amazing. I shall dispose of them at an appalling profit almost at once. Oh, and my friend, the ugly Madonna is gone. <laughs> yes, to old Mrs. Fleshman. How I gasped at her perspicacity in recognizing its worth, hesitating to set a price. She suspected me of having another client. I named an indecent figure. She pounced on it. How I exulted as she bore the horror off with her, you alone will know. I often am ashamed for the delight I take in such meaningless triumphs. You in Germany with your country house and your affluence, and I in America gloating because I have tricked an old woman into buying a monstrosity. Is it for this we spend our lives? <laughs> Alas, we are all caught in the same mill. We are vain and dishonest because we must triumph over other vain and dishonest persons. If I do not sell Mrs. Fleshman our horror, somebody else will sell her a worse one. But there is another realm where we can always find something true. The fireside of a friend, where we shed our little conceits and find warmth and understanding. Where small selfishnesses are impossible and where wine and books and talk give a different meaning to existence. There we have made something that no falseness can touch. We are at home. Who is this Adolf Hitler who seems to be rising toward power in Germany? I do not like what I read of him. Uh, embrace all the young fry and our abundant Elsa for me. Your ever affectionate, Max. March 25th, 1933. Dear old Max, you have heard, of course, of the new events in Germany, and you will want to know how it appears to us from the inside. I tell you truly, Max, I think in many ways Hitler is good for Germany. But I am not sure. He is now the active head of the government. I doubt much that even Hindenburg could now remove him from power as he was forced to place him there. The man is like an electric shock, strong as only a great orator and zealot can be. But I ask myself, is he quite sane? 
His brown shirt troops are of the rabble. They pillage and have started a bad Jew baiting. But these be minor things, the surface scum when a big movement boils up, for I tell you, my friend, there is a surge. You feel it in the streets and shops. The old despair has been thrown aside like a forgotten coat. No longer the people wrap themselves in shame, they hope again. Perhaps there may be found an end to this poverty. A leader is found. Yet to myself, I also think a leader to wear. Despair overthrown often turns us in mad directions. Publicly, I express no doubt I am now an official and a worker in the new regime and I exult very loud indeed. We officials who cherish our skins are quick to join the National Socialists, the name of Herr Hitler's party. But it is not only expedient. There is something more, a feeling that we of Germany have found our destiny and that the future sweeps toward us in an overwhelming wave. We too must move. We must go with it. Even now there are wrongs done. The stormtroopers are having their moment of victory and there are bloody heads and sad hearts to show for it. But these things pass. If the end is right, they pass. And we are forgotten and history writes a clean new page. All I now ask myself, and can say to you what I cannot say here is, is the end right? Do we make a better goal? For Max, I have seen these people and learned what agonies they have suffered. Years of less bread, of leaner bodies, and the end of hope. The quicksand of despair held them. It was at their chins. Then just before they died, a man came and pulled them out. All they know now is they will not die. They are in a hysteria of deliverance. Almost they worship him. But whoever the Savior was, they would have done the same. God grant it is a true leader and no black angel they follow. To you alone, Max, I say I do not know. I do not know. Yet, I hope. So much for politics. Ourselves, we delight in our new home and have done much entertaining. Tonight the mayor is our guest at a dinner for 28. We spread ourselves a little, but that is to be forgiven. Elsa has a new gown of blue velvet and is in fear it will not be big enough. She is with child again. That is the way to keep a wife contented, Max. So busy with babies, she has no time to fret. Our Heinrich has made a social conquest. He goes out on his pony, gets himself thrown off, and who picks him up but the Baron von Freisch? They have a long conversation about America, and one day the Baron calls me and we have coffee. Heinrich will go there to lunch next week. What a boy! It is too bad his German is not better, but he delights everyone. So, we go, my friend.
perhaps to become part of great events, perhaps only to pursue our simple family way, but never abandoning that trueness of friendship of which you speak so movingly. Our hearts go out to you across the wide sea, and when the glasses are filled, we toast Uncle Max. Yours in affectionate regard, Martin. May 18th, 1933. Dear Martin, I am in distress at the press reports that come pouring into us from the fatherland. I turn to you for light while there are only conflicting stories to be had here. I am sure things cannot be as bad as they are pictured. A terrible pogrom that is the consensus of our American papers. I know from you I, I can have the truth. Aaron Silberman's son has just returned from Berlin. Oh, the tales he tells of what he has seen. Floggings? The, the, the forcing of quarts of castor oil through clenched teeth and the consequent hours of dying through the slow agony of bursting guts? These things may, as you have said, be but the surface froth of human revolution. But alas, to us Jews, they are a sad story, familiar through centuries of repetition. And it is almost unbelievable that, that the old martyrdom must be endured in a, in a civilized nation today. Write me, my friend. Set my mind at ease. Grisel's play will come to a close at the end of June after a great success. She writes that she has an offer for another role in Vienna and also for a very fine one in Berlin for the autumn. She's talking mostly of the latter one, but I have written her to wait until the anti-Jewish feeling has abated. Of course, she uses another name, which is not Jewish, Eisenstein would be impossible for the stage anyway, but it is not her name that would betray her origin. Her features, her gestures, her voice proclaim her a Jewess. And if this feeling has any real strength, she had best not venture into Germany just at present. Uh, forgive me, my friend, for so distraught a letter, but I cannot rest until you have reassured me. You will, I know, write in all fairness. Pray do so at once. With warmest protestations of faith and friendship, I am ever your faithful Max. July 9th, 1933. Dear Max, you see that I write upon the stationery of my bank this is necessary because I have a request to make, and I wish to avoid the new censorship which is most strict. We must, for the present, discontinue writing each other. It is impossible for me to be in correspondence with a Jew, even if it were not that I have an official position to maintain. If a communication becomes necessary, you must enclose it with the bank draft and do not write to me at my house again. As for the stern measures that so distress you, 
I myself did not like them at first, but I have come to see their painful necessity. The Jewish race is a sore spot to any nation that harbors it. I have never hated the individual Jew. Yourself I have always cherished as a friend, but you will know that I speak in all honesty when I say I have loved you, not because of your race, but in spite of it. The Jew is the universal scapegoat. This does not happen without reason, and it is not the old superstition about Christ killers that makes them distrusted. But this Jew trouble is only an incident. Something bigger is happening. If I could show you, if I could make you see the rebirth of this new Germany under a gentle leader, not for always can the world grind a great people down in subjugation. In Devit, for 14 years we bowed our heads. We ate the bitter bread of shame and drank the thin gruel of poverty. Now we are free men. We rise in our might and hold our heads up for the nations. We purge our bloodstream of its baser elements. We go singing through our valleys with strong muscles tingling for new work. And from the mountains ring the voices of Wodan and Thor, the old gods of the German race. But no, I'm sure as I write that you will not see how necessary is all this for Germany. You will see only that your own people are troubled. You will not see that a few must suffer for millions to be saved. You will be a Jew first and wail for your people. This I understand. It is the Semitic character. You lament, but you are never brave enough to fight back. That is why there are pogroms. Alas, Max, this will pain you, I know. But you must realize the truth. There are movements far bigger than the men who make them up. As for me, I am part of the movement. Heinrich is an officer in the Boys' Corps, which is headed by Baron von Freisch, whose rank is now shedding a luster upon our house. I am up to the ears in work. Elsa concerns herself little with politics except to adore our gentle leader. She gets tired easily. Perhaps the babies came too fast. It will be better for her when this one is born. I regret our correspondence must close this way, Max. Perhaps we can someday meet again on a field of better understanding. As ever, Martin Schulze. August 1st, 1933. Martin, my old friend, I am sending this by the hand of Jimmy Lederer, who will pass through Munich on a vacation. I, I cannot rest after the letter you last sent me. It is so unlike you. I, I can only attribute its contents to your fear of the censorship. The man I have loved as a brother whose heart has ever been brimming with sympathy and friendship cannot possibly partake of even a passive partnership in the butchery of innocent people. 
I, I, I trust and pray that it may be so that, he, that you will write me no exposition, which might be dangerous for you, only a simple yes. That will tell me that you, you play the part, but your heart has not changed. This censorship, this persecution, the, the burning of libraries would arouse your antagonism if there had been no finger laid on one of my race. You are a liberal, Martin. You have always taken the long view. I can see why the Germans acclaim Hitler. They react against the very real wrongs which have been laid on them since the disaster of the war. But you, Martin, have been almost an American since the war. I, I know that it is not my friend who has written to me. Only the voice of caution and expediency. I await the one word that will set my heart at peace. Write your yes quickly. August 18. Dear Max, I have your letter. The word is no. You are a sentimentalist. You put nice little tags on men, but you are wrong. I am an American liberal? No, I am a German patriot. A liberal is a man who does not believe in doing anything. He is a talker about the rights of man, but just a talker. He likes to make a big noise about freedom of speech. But what is freedom of speech? Just a chance to sit firmly on the backside and say whatever is being done by the active man is wrong. What is so futile as the liberal? I know him well because I have been one. He condemns the passive government because it makes no change. But let a powerful man rise. Let an active man start to make a change. Then where is your liberal? He is against it. He calls this the long view. But it is merely a scare that he will have to do something himself. And in Germany, a doer has risen. A vital man is changing things. And I join him. I am not just swept along. I put my back and shoulders behind this new movement. I am a man because I act. Before that, I am just a voice. You say we persecute men, we destroy libraries. Does the surgeon spare the cancer because he must cut to remove it? Of course, we are cruel. All birth is brutal, so is this new birth of ours. But we rejoice. Germany lifts high her head among the nations of the world. She follows her glorious leader to triumph. What can you know of this, you who only sit and dream? You have never known a Hitler. He is a drawn sword. He is a white light, hot as the sun of a new day. I must insist that you write no further. We are no longer in sympathy, as now we must both realize. Martin Schulz.
September 5th. Dear Martin, enclosed are your draft and the month's accounts. It is of necessity that I send a brief message. Grizel has gone to Berlin. She is too daring, but she has waited so long for success she will not relinquish it and laughs at my fears. She will be at the Koenig Theater. You are an official. For all friendship's sake, I beg of you to watch over her. Go to Berlin and, and see whether she is in danger. It will distress you to observe that I have been obliged to remove your name from the firm's name. You know who our principal clients are, and they will touch nothing now from a firm with a German name. Your new attitude I, I cannot discuss. But you must understand me. I did not expect you would take up arms for my people because they are my people, but because you were a man who loved justice. I commend my rash Grizel to you. The child does not realize what a risk she is taking. I shall not write again. Goodbye, my friend. Max. November 5th, 1933. Martin, I write again because I must. A black foreboding has taken possession of me. I wrote Grisel as soon as I knew she was in Berlin and she answered briefly. Rehearsals were going brilliantly. The, the play would open shortly. My second letter has been returned to me. The envelope unopened, marked only Address unknown. Adressat unbekannt. What a darkness those words carry. How, how can she be unknown? It, it is surely a message that she has come to harm. They know what has happened to her, those stamped letters say, but I am not to know. She has gone into some sort of void and, and it will be useless to seek her. All this they tell me in two words. Adressat unbekannt. Martin, need I ask you to find her? You have known her beauty and sweetness. You, you have had her love which she has given to no other man. Do not attempt to write to me. I, I know I need not even ask you to aid. It is enough to tell you that something has gone wrong, that she must be in danger. I leave her in your hands because I am helpless. Max. November 23rd, 1933. Martin, I turn to you in despair. I could not wait for another month, so I am sending some information as to your investments. I can thus enclose my appeal with a bank letter. It is Grizel. For two months there has been only silence from her, and now the rumors begin to come to me. The tales slowly come back from Germany, tales so full of dread. I, I would close my ears if I dared, but I cannot. 
I must know what has happened to her. I must be sure. She appeared in Berlin for a week. Then she was jeered from the audience as a Jewess. She is so foolhardy, this splendid child. She, she threw the word back in their teeth. She told them probably that, yes, she was a Jewess. Some of the audience started after her. She ran backstage. Someone must have helped her, for she got away with the whole pack at her heels and took refuge with a Jewish family in a cellar for several days. After that, she changed her appearance as much as she could and started south, hoping to walk back to Vienna. She did not dare try the railroads. She told those she left that she would be safe if she could reach friends in Munich. And that is my hope, that she has gone to you, but she never reached Vienna. Send me word, Martin, and if she has not come there, make a quiet investigation if you can. My, my mind cannot rest. I torture myself seeing the brave little thing trudging all those long miles through a hostile country with winter coming on. God grant you can send me word of relief. Max. December 8th, 1933. Heil Hitler. I much regret that I have bad news for you. Your sister is dead. Unfortunately, she was, as you have said, very much a fool. A week ago, she came here with a bunch of stormtroopers right behind her. The house was very active. Elsa was not been well since little Adolf was born last month. The doctor was here and two nurses with all the servants and children scurrying around. By luck, I answered the door. At first, I think this is an old woman, and then I see the face, and then I see the stormtroopers have turned in the park gates. Can I hide her? It is one chance in a thousands. A servant will be on us at any minute. Can I endure to have my house ransacked with Elsa ill in bed and risk being arrested for harboring a Jew and lose all that I have built up here? Of course, as a German, I have one plain duty. She has displayed her Jewish body on stage before pure young German men. I should hold her and turn her over to the stormtroopers. But this I cannot do. You will destroy us all. Grizel, I tell her. You must run back further in the park. She looks at me and smiles and makes her own choice. I would not bring you harm, Martin, she says. And she runs down the steps and out toward the trees. But she must be tired she does not run very fast, and the stormtroopers have caught sight of her. I am helpless. I go into the house, and in a few minutes she stops screaming. In the morning I have the body sent down to the village for burial. She was a fool to come to Germany. Poor little Grizel.
I grieve with you. But as you see, I was helpless to aid her. I must now demand you do not write again. Every word that comes to the house is now censored, and I cannot tell how soon they may start to open the mail to the bank. I will no longer have any dealings with Jews except for the receipt of money. It is not so good for me that a Jewess came here for refuge and no further association can be tolerated. A new Germany is being shaped here. We will soon show the world great things under our glorious leader. Martin. January 3rd, 1934. Our dear Martin, don't forget Grandma's birthday. She will be 64 on the 8th. American contributors will furnish 1,000 brushes for your German Young Painters League. Mandelberg has joined in supporting the league. You must send 11 Picasso reproductions, 20 by 90, to branch galleries on the 25th. No sooner. Reds and blues must predominate. We can allow you $8,000 on this transaction at present. Start new accounts, book two. Our prayers follow you daily, dear brother. Eisenstein. January 17th, 1934. Good news. Our stock reached 116 five days ago. The Fleischmanns have advanced another $10,000. This will fill your Young Painters League quota for a month but let us know if opportunities increase. Swiss miniatures are having a vogue. Uncle Solomon will be glad to see you, and I know you would rely heavily on his judgment. You will prepare for your students the following reproductions. Van Gogh, 15 by 103. Red. Poussin, 20 by 90. Vermeer, 11 by 33, red and blue. Our hopes will follow your new efforts. Eisenstein. February 12th, 1934. Max, my old friend. My God, Max, do you know what you do? I shall have to try to smuggle this letter out with an American I have met here. I write from a despair you cannot imagine. This crazy cable, these letters you have sent, I am called in to account for them. They bring me in and show me letters from you and demand I give them the code, a code. How can you, my friend, of long years, do this to me? Already the results of your madness are terrible. 
I am told I must resign my office. Heinrich is no longer in the boy's corps. They tell him it will be not good for his health. God in heaven, Max, do you see what that means? Elsa comes in bewildered that the officials refuse her invitations and Baron von Freisch does not speak to her on the, upon the street. Yes, I know why you do it. But do you not understand I could do nothing? I did not dare to try. I beg of you, not for myself, but for Elsa and the boys. Think what it means to them if I am taken away. Do you know what it is to be taken to a concentration camp? Would you stand me against a wall and level the gun? I beg of you, stop. I have loved you like a brother, my old Maxell. My God, have you no mercy? I beg you, Max, no more. Stop while I can be saved. From a heart filled with affection, I ask it. Martin. March 3rd, 1934. Martin, our brother. Cousin Julius has two nine-pound boys. The family is happy. The last shipment of canvases was delayed due to difficulties, but will reach your Berlin associates in plenty of time. Consider reproduction collection complete. We leave all final plans to your discretion, but urge an early date for a wholly successful exhibit. The God of Moses be at your right hand. Eisenstein. Notice. Correspondence returned. Adressat unbekannt. Address unknown. We hope you've enjoyed our Parsons Knows Radio Theater of the Air presentation of Address Unknown. For more about Catherine Cressman Taylor, please listen to our accompanying episode. Our performers tonight were Mr. Paul Perry and Mr. Barry Gordon. Our sound design by Dave Bennett. All PNT broadcasts are recorded remotely according to COVID guidelines. Our music was courtesy of Creative Commons. We hope you'll subscribe to us at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about Parsons Nose at ParsonsNose.org, where you'll find our newsletter sign-up, our radio theater webpage, and also a place to make a donation. Small theater groups like ours are in rough waters these days, and your generosity is very much appreciated. I'm Lance Davis. Thank you. <laughs>